0: Imagine you're asleep in bed and you hear the knocking on your front door. It awakens you. You turn and look at your clock on your phone and you see that it's 1.12 a.m. You make your way to your front door and, of course, you don't sling the door wide open. You have some inquiries yourself. Who is this? The person responds back, it's John Doe. It's a name you do not recognize. Because you don't recognize the name, you take a certain action. You don't open that door. You either try to call the police or find out some more information or maybe you rummage through a closet for a firearm to protect yourself. Depends on how comfortable you are with that. But hopefully, if that scenario were to occur and I were to call out, well, it's Seth and I need your help, right? I guess then you would have some decisions to make as well, right? (laughs) You might offer help depending on what you think of that name. And of course, if you heard the response, this is the Ankeny Police Department or this is the Polk County Sheriff's Department, right? You're going to have different actions, that you take in response to the name that's given to you on the other side of that door because the name that's given communicates certain character of the person a past experience that you have with that person and whether you feel comfortable and safe enough to open up your home in the middle of the night at the response to a knock and in our passage today, we see something very similar. That people are having encounters with Yahweh. And based on their understanding of what the name Yahweh means, they all have different responses to Yahweh's making Himself known to them. And this shouldn't surprise us, because really the book of Exodus is about that. It's about God making Himself known to not just to His people, the Israelites, but to all the nations, to all the world, He wants to be known. And we've seen how this story has progressed so far. The book of Exodus begins with the people of Israel under threat. They are being oppressed. They are slaves. And genocide is being enacted against their nation. And after we see the threat to the nation at large, we find the the focus narrowing to one individual family the family of Moses. And we see how the threat of genocide affected him and how God delivered him from his trouble and ultimately placed him in the security of being raised in Pharaoh's own household. But yet when Pharaoh tried to embra- excuse me, when Moses tried to embrace his call to be the deliverer of God's people, things didn't work out as he had hoped at the age of 40. And so Moses was forced to retreat to the deserts. And there he found a new family and a wife and had children. And for 40 years, he served as a shepherd in the desert of Midian. And ultimately, around 80 years old, as Moses was going about his life and shepherding his flock and the flock of his father-in-law, he one day saw a burning bush... And from that bush, God spoke to him and revealed that he wanted him to go back to Egypt and be the instrument God would use to deliver his people. And that Moses could competently pursue this call upon his life because God, I Am, Yahweh, was going with him. And his presence would ensure the success that he could be faithful to fulfill the calling God had given to him. And last week we saw how on his journey back to Egypt there was some, some unfinished business in Moses' own life. He had already believed he didn't have to worry about the threat of Egypt in his thing. God was going to be with him. But he had failed to fulfill the requirements God required of him and his own family. And so God confronted him and threatened to kill him unless he made good on his obligations that he had. And so God even pursued Moses and was present with Moses to make sure that not only outward things wouldn't hinder him from fulfilling his calling, but to make sure that any internal issues of holding out and being obedient to God would be dealt with. And it's after that that we arrive at what Jake has just read. Moses makes it to Egypt. He gathers Aaron, his brother, and the leaders of Israel and explains what God has made known. And the people of Israel respond with worship. And after this, in verse 1, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness." Here's God's demand. He wants His people to worship and serve Him, no longer to worship and serve Pharaoh. But notice Pharaoh's response to this revelation. Verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? Now the word Lord is just the word Yahweh, God's personal name. I am a man, and my name is Seth. Yahweh is a God... And his name is Yahweh. Okay, so that's how you think about that. So Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? Who is this Yahweh that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I do not know Yahweh. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. You come in here knocking on my door, Moses, telling me this God, Yahweh, is telling you to do something. The problem is, I don't know that name. That name means nothing to me. You have to understand, Pharaoh is a powerful ruler who has viewed himself as a god, as a son of the gods. And so Pharaoh is not in the habit of letting other people tell him what to do. But by asking, who is the Lord, Pharaoh sets in motion the plagues and the Exodus event. Because when Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey Him, God is saying, okay, let me demonstrate for you who I am. You're unfamiliar with me? I understand that. I'll just step back and show you who Yahweh truly is. And so God answers that question, who is Yahweh? He answers it by sending the plagues that we will look at next week and by parting the Red Sea to provide deliverance for His people. Yahweh is saying, this is who I am. You can see my character. You can see who I am by the things that I do, both for my people and for my enemies. And as a matter of fact, this phrase, I am the Lord, doesn't appear in the Bible until Pharaoh says that that name doesn't make sense to me. It means nothing to me. And so, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh that I should obey Him, that I should listen to Him? And Yahweh's answer is, I am Yahweh. Watch me work. And as a matter of fact, after all the Exodus is over and God's people have been delivered, they gather to celebrate and they sing a song. In Exodus 15:3, part of the song says this: The Lord, Yahweh, is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And they say that as they are looking back on Egypt which has been destroyed, which has been plundered, which has been eradicated on the field of battle. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. You see, when we think about the name Yahweh, for some the name Yahweh means nothing. We don't know who that is. Like Pharaoh, there are many people in the world today that at the name of Yahweh, at the name of Jesus Christ, This has no meaning. For some, they have never heard it. Almost two billion people in the world have never heard of the Bible, have heard the name of Jesus. But for others of those whom we know, they may be familiar with the term Jesus, Yahweh, God. But when they hear that name, they, like Pharaoh, say, Who is Yahweh that I should obey Him? I'm going to live my life how I want And I'm not going to have some deity telling me how I should live and how I should act and how I should speak. Quite frankly, as believers in the Lord, it should not surprise us when people don't want to do what Yahweh says. I'm I'm never surprised at how Christians are surprised that non-believers don't want to do what Yahweh says. The reality is there are a lot of Americans that are, have hearts like Egyptians. That when we says Yahweh says we ought to be this way, live this way, they say, who is Yahweh that we should obey Him? Let us push Him out of our lives. Let's push Him out of our public square. We don't want to listen and do what He says. And as Christians, quite frankly, we shouldn't be offended when this happens. We ought to be gracious We ought to be patient with people. We continue to speak of Christ. We continue to speak of Yahweh just as Aaron and Moses did. But we shouldn't be shocked that when some hear this name, it means nothing to them. But notice what's said there in chapter 7 verse 5. Yahweh makes it known that what He's about to do in Egypt is a means of making Himself known to the Egyptians. Chapter 7, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Right? First introduction, Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? And at the end, before things really heat up with the plagues... Moses consults with the Lord and the Lord tells him, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. When will this knowledge come? When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. They're going to know who Yahweh is when I bring judgment upon them and I bring salvation to my people. It will make it crystal clear who I am and why my voice should be listened to. I am the God who saves and I am the God who brings judgment. And both of those reasons reveal the character of God. But again, God isn't just interested in making Himself known to the Egyptians. Over in chapter 9, which we'll look at in more detail next week, notice what's said there in verses 15 and 16. For by now, and again, Yahweh is speaking here to Pharaoh himself. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. Yahweh's point is, look, Pharaoh, I'm I'm really playing with you here. I've got the power. I could have ended you a long time ago. Could have done that. So why hasn't he? Verse sixteen, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power. I want you to you, you wonder who Yahweh was. I'm going to give you some time to see. I could end it quickly, but I'm going to let it drag out a little bit so you know who I am and why you should have listened. But not just for him. For this purpose I've raised you up to show you my power, so that my name. That name you weren't, you knew nothing about meant nothing to you so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So we're getting to God's purpose here. He wants His name to be known in all nations. That's what's driving Him. That's why He saves the Israelites and that's why He brings judgment upon the Egyptians because those who see it Will say, Oh, when you say Yahweh, we know who you're talking about. The one who saved his people and the, and the one who decimated the Egyptian power. But it's not just Egypt and the nations who need to know the name of the Lord. The Exodus also reveals the name of the Lord to the Israelites. Remember, they've been in captivity for about 430 years. And in that time, they haven't had any instruction. They didn't have the law yet. There was a lack of familiarity with Yahweh as well. And so they needed that name Yahweh filled out with some meaning. Who are we talking about when we use His name? There at the very end of chapter 5 we find out because of this confrontation that Moses has with Pharaoh and saying, Yahweh says, you need to let my people go. Things don't turn out well. Notice in verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And then notice what's said in verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do. Right? So we've seen that. God was trying to make Himself known to the Egyptians whose name of Yahweh meant nothing. We see that He did that with the Egyptians because He wanted His name proclaimed to all the ends of the earth, to all peoples, all nations, all tongues... But he also wants to show his people, Moses, pay attention. You will see what I will do. And by seeing what I will do, you will get better insight into who I am. So when you hear the name Yahweh, it means something to you. Now, again, as I just said, when Moses and Aaron first appeared in Israel, there was some success. We saw that last week there. At the end of chapter 4, verse 30, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord, Yahweh, had visited the people of Israel and that they had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. So at this moment, Moses has got to feel really good about himself. Things are going according to plan. God told me to come. I was a little hesitant. He convinced me, gave me some party tricks to perform in case people doubted me. I've done those tricks, and everyone's on the same page. Man, that went well with the Israelites. I was worried about that reception. Now let's go talk to Pharaoh. He tells them to let them go in verse 1. Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey Him? I will not let Israel go. And then in verse 3 they say, Well, we'll give a little request here. They said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days. Right? There's the please. Please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that they may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But again, Pharaoh in this time not only says, I will not let you go, he makes life more difficult for them. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take your people away from their work? You're just being lazy. Get back to your burdens. You, mu- you must not have enough work if you've got time for these theological discussions. So we'll make it a little harder. And so instead of just making bricks, now they had to go get the straw that was essential to make the bricks before it was supplied to them. And of course, because of this, their burden becomes worse. The quota of how many bricks they have to make each day is not lessened. And so they are burdened even more because of what's happened. Now, this response from Pharaoh should not surprise us, and it shouldn't have surprised Moses. Back in chapter 3, verse 19, God had in, in, in informed Moses that this was what was going to happen. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So it shouldn't surprise us of Pharaoh's response that the name of Yahweh meant nothing to him. He was not going to listen or obey it. But... The surprise response is that of Israel. Notice down in verse 19 of chapter 5. After this has happened, they've been beaten because they're not meeting the quota. They've got more work to do. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So what did they do? Did they worship? No, that's not what happens. They met Moses and Aaron, verse 20, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Big shift from Sunday worship to Tuesday afternoon at the factory. Big shift. They complain to Moses, and Moses, of course, does the right thing, right? Nope. <laughs> Even Moses doesn't respond well. He himself turns his complaint to the Lord. Verse 22, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Remember, back in Midian, I didn't want to come. You said everything was going to do this. We have, everything was going to work. I'm confused. For since I have come to Pharaoh to speak in your name... He has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Yahweh convinced Moses to go down with the promise that he would be with him. And then when he shows up and he starts to implement what God said, things get worse. Obedience to God made life harder than better. And the reality is, for some of us, The name of Yahweh doesn't mean nothing. It means something, but it means trouble. Following God gets us into predicaments. It's easier if we didn't have to listen to Him. Maybe you're a Christian young person in school trying to live for Christ and being faithful to His teaching and that brings you ridicule. That brings you isolation, rejection from some of your peers. It would be easier for you to function in your school, in your group of friends, if you were not aligned with Yahweh. Maybe you're a single person who desires marriage and you feel pressured. And being obedient to God and holding His standards, that may mean my dreams might not come true. It'd be easier if I didn't have to listen to Yahweh. His name means trouble. His name means I've got to be obedient to this, and that makes my life harder. I've known of couples who've adopted children, and after adopting those children experience trouble. Financial trouble or trouble with the child that they've taken into their home. Lord, I've been obedient to this calling that you've specifically given to me and now life's harder than it is better. Pastors who go into churches and seek to faithfully teach God's Word and shepherd the church biblically but face opposition for being faithful to what God calls them to do. The reality is sometimes the name Yahweh can spell trouble. Doing and following His calling on our life can bring hardship. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Struggling with that. For some the name Yahweh means nothing. For others the name Yahweh means trouble. But... Notice how Yahweh responds to this statement. There in verse 1, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Right now he's resistant. He says he will not let him go. He's going to do that. As a matter of fact, he's going to drive you. He's going to be so ready to get rid of you. He's going to drive you out of this place. You see... For all of us, when we hear the name Yahweh, it should mean hope. Not trouble, not nothing, but for hope. And we have hope because Yahweh rules his world, he is in control. Notice in verse one, you can't promise, see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. How can this stubborn ruler who views himself as a demigod be change his mind and position on this? Yahweh's going to do that. And he can do that because he is the Lord over Pharaoh. He is in control of his world, he's ruling his world. And then notice in verse 6, notice the confidence in which God declares and elaborates on what, he do, what He's going to do. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, that I will be your God, and you shall know that I I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of all the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Now you can't go around making all these I will do this, I will accomplish this, this will happen under my watch unless your name means power means authority, means control. And that's what Yahweh's name means. And therefore, it gives us hope. Notice back in chapter 5, verse 15, the people of Israel cry out to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? But Pharaoh does not listen to them. But earlier we saw back in chapter 2, You see, Yahweh rules his world. He is going to win. But not only is that giving us hope, we also find hope because Yahweh keeps his promises. He's not only a powerful Lord, his power to keep his promises. And he elaborates on that. And God spoke to Moses, verse 2 of chapter 6, and said to him, I am the Lord. We saw that in verse 8 as well. I am the Lord. And so in between verses 2 and 8, Yahweh goes on this elaboration of who he is. And he elaborates the promises that he has made. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. That is the general term. El Shaddai. It's the general name for God. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't know the name Yahweh. They had the more generic term, God Almighty. But he makes his name Yahweh, personal name, known to Moses and the people and the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at this point. I also established my covenant with them. There's that idea of God's covenant promise-making that He has. He, I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. So He's like, I'm here to deliver on a promise. It's been 430 years and longer, but I'm here to do it. He's making good. And then He goes on that list of things. I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant, my promises. Say, therefore, the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And then he goes on this great deliverance. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, with a mighty hand, deliver you out of the land of Egypt. I'm going to bring you into the land that I promised. And I'm going to be your God in that land that I have promised to you. And we've seen the difference. When they cry out to Pharaoh, he ignores them and he oppresses them. And when they call out to Yahweh, he hears them. He remembers his covenant, his promises, and he acts upon it. So when we hear the name Yahweh, we find hope because that name represents a God who has power. He's in control of the world in which we live. He is a God who keeps His promises and so we can bank on Him doing what He's promised to us. Now it may not happen in the timing that we would think it should happen or in the manner in which it should happen but the reality is God will be faithful to His promises. But it also means hope because Yahweh redeems His people. Elaborated there in verse 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. An outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. But what's interesting here is that God doesn't just promise to redeem them from slavery, which we, as you read the book of Exodus, He does do. He doesn't just redeem them from slavery. He redeems them for a purpose. He has a purpose for them. And He goes on to elaborate it there. In verses 7 and 8, right, he talks about how that he is going to take them to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. There's this even deeper personal relationship God is offering them. And then in verse 8, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. I will redeem you. I will make you my people. You, I will be your God and I will provide for you as my people a land where you can flourish and fulfill your call to be my ambassadors, my spokesmen to all the nations. And again, when you go to the very end of the Bible, we notice that God hasn't turned from this. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 3, John said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Yahweh's name means hope because Yahweh is a powerful, sovereign Lord in control of everything. He is a covenant, promise-keeping God who has set out to redeem a people for Himself to be His people and that He can be their God who cares and provides for them everything they need. So brothers and sisters, when obedience to Yahweh makes life harder, when it's tempted to hear Yahweh is trouble, but do what he says, it would be easier if I, it, his name meant nothing to me. How do we fight in that moment to believe Yahweh's name means hope? When obedience to Yahweh makes life harder, we must find hope in his name. You see, when this happens, when obedience to God following Yahweh makes life harder than better, and it will, like Moses and the Israelites, we are tempted to complain. We saw that at the end of chapter 5. Lord, why are you doing this evil to these people? Why did you even send me here? What's going on? Things aren't working the way I think they should. I've been obedient. I've done my part. Where are you at? Ever thought that? Verse 1, we see how God responds to them. He doesn't get down and explain all the details of everything He's doing to make something happen. He says, You shall see what I will do. And to us today, when we come with our complaints, when we are tempted to view Yahweh's name as meaning trouble... He says something better than you will see. He says, you have seen what I have done. You see, we are in a unique perspective in that we are able to look back on the Exodus and see how God was faithful to Moses and the people of the Israelites, faithful to the covenant He made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that He did deliver His people with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. But we can also see better what God has done in the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. When obedience to Yahweh makes life harder, you find hope in His name, because you have seen that He is the Lord who rules His world. At the cross, it did not appear that God was ruling. You don't win by dying on the battlefield. I thought the Lord was a warrior. It looked rather like Satan and sin and evil had triumphed as Jesus hung helpless on the cross and expired his life with his last breath but we're later told in the book of Acts, but in fact all these evil injustices that were conspiring against Jesus were doing whatever God's hand and plan had predestined to take place. Acts chapter 4 verse 28. God used the cross to bring about salvation. He was ruling His world as His Son drew His last breath on the cross. So when you're tempted to wonder what is God doing in your life, when you doubt that He really has a hold on you and you're struggling to trust Him when life gets harder, look to the cross and the empty tomb and remind yourself God rules His world. But you also find hope in the name of Yahweh... Because you have seen that He is the Lord who keeps His promises. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses 19 and 20. "For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, was not yes and no, but in Him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. in Christ. So when you are wondering what God is doing, when you doubt He really has a hold on you, and you're struggling to trust Him because your obedience to Him has made life harder, not better, look to the cross and the empty tomb and remember Yahweh means hope because He is a God who keeps His promises. You can have hope When you hear the name of Yahweh, because you have seen that the Lord is a God who redeems his people from death and gives them life. Paul in Colossians chapter 1 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be in slavery in Egypt but the offer of God's kingdom versus the land of Canaan is a much better deal. The kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. 1 John 4.10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the sacrifice for our sins, the cost of us being transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. And as we read there in Exodus 6, 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptian, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great mights mighty acts of judgment. And as we work our way through Exodus, we'll see how God fulfilled that promise. But that ultimate promise of redemption and of deliverance for God's people was fulfilled on the cross, where God's arms were outstretched as Jesus hung on the cross. And where a great great act of judgment was performed... But this time, instead of that judgment falling on God's enemies, it fell on God Himself. When God judged Jesus on the cross by punishing Him for our sins so that He could love His enemies. So when you're wondering what God is doing. And when you doubt, He really has a hold on you and you're struggling to trust Him because your obedience has made life harder, not better. Look to the cross and the empty tomb and remember Yahweh means hope because He redeems you by bearing His own judgment in His own body on the cross. When you hear God knocking... In your life. Saying this is the next step. You've got to take this step in the calling that I've given to you. Or here's a new calling I want you to take up. And you hear him knocking and you say, who is this calling me to do it? I pray to God you don't look and say, your name means nothing to me. I'm not going to listen to your voice. But the reality is for many of us, probably most of us in this room, there are going to be moments in our life before we die when we're going to hear Yahweh knocking and go, "Uh uh-oh, I hear trouble. What's God going to ask me to do now that's going to make life harder than it is better? And my prayer is that when you are tempted to that, you would be reminded that the one calling you to this is a God who is the Lord over all your life. He is the God who has made so many precious promises to you that He will keep. And He is the God who has bled to redeem you from your sin. Hear Him knocking and open the door and welcome Him with outstretched arms. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for the comfort and the challenge that Your Word brings. Father, we know that facing the callings that You give to us and walking in obedience to You, Lord, what we need is not more willpower, more determination. Father, what we need is more knowledge of You. And Lord, oftentimes that knowledge isn't something we didn't know. We could have passed the test. That you're in control, that you keep your promises, that you have redeemed us. We, many of us probably knew all those things before we came in the doors this morning. But oh, how we need that knowledge told afresh to us. And Father, I pray that when we come to those points in our life, when we are tempted to hear your name is trouble... That, Father, you would have someone close by to speak that word. That we would hear your name as hope. It's life-giving. And, Father, help us be that church. That that words of your name are not just spoken up here from this podium. But those words are spoken as we live our lives together as you give us opportunities to stand before the Pharaohs of this world who don't know you, that we would be well-versed from reminding ourselves of who you are, reminding one one another of who you are, so that we are well-equipped to remind those who've never heard who you are. Father, we are thankful for the life-giving, hope-inspiring meaning To your name, Yahweh. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.